Well, I'll try it. We'll get it. Bill Lloyd, you know, runs our little group on Tuesday evenings online. He does a lot of online teaching and that sort of thing uh, through Alpha Ministries. And he's putting our services, uh, Sunday morning services, on a podcast that you can look up on your phone and listen to anytime you want to. Uh, the, tr- the trouble with that is getting me to push the button. So I've always got a little sign that says push the button here. But I noticed when I pushed this button today that I'm real low on battery. So I may have to have somebody that has an iPhone with a recording memo on it to record this. But that's all right. We'll get what we can. We're going to continue our study in Hebrews today. Hebrews chapter 11. I told Bill yesterday when I talked to him on the phone, I said, you know, I'm going to have to finish Hebrews chapter 11. We've been in chapter 11 for quite a while now, and I'm going to have to to finish it because there's so much stuff in the history of Israel that's given to us in Hebrews chapter 11 that you could get bogged down for years. I mean, really. You know, the, this list that he's given us here in chapter 11 is a list or a gallery, if you will, of heroes of faith. Because that's what chapter 11 is all about. It's about the exercise of faith. In fact, in the very first verse, he defines faith for it. Well, he, I'm sorry, it's not really a definition. It's rather a description of faith. He says faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And then he goes, proceeds on to give us a whole Old Testament survey here. I took a class in college when I went to Bible college, what some people call cemetery, I mean seminary. Um, It was called Old Testament survey, in which you start Genesis, you know, and you go through the whole thing and you look at all the characters and all the all the history, all the Old Testament is about the history of Israel. And our author here of Hebrews 11 gives us a little summary or survey of the Old Testament, starting with Abel and going all the way down to people he doesn't mention just before Christ came. And the one thing that he wants us to understand about all these folks is they lived their lives by faith. And he gives us example after example. Now there's a couple notable ones, obviously. We've got before the flood, you've got Abel and Enoch who walked with God and was not. He was translated. And then Noah. And the flood. After the flood, we've got a whole list of patriarchs here. You've got Abraham, which he gives most of his attention to in chapter 11. We've got his descendants, Isaac, the promised child, Jacob, and and Joseph, the youngest child of Israel. Now that brings us from the time of Abraham to the bondage of Israel in Egypt, which didn't start out as bondage. It started out uh, real favorable, but the next 400 years of history 
put the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, in serious bondage and slavery to the Egyptians. But then he moves to Moses. Now Moses, when he came on the scene, was born in slavery. He was born in Egypt as a child of slaves. And his mom, understanding that by faith, this was going to be an important child, didn't follow the king's order to murder all baby boys. See, they were getting too numerous. And so the king, Pharaoh, said, okay, any boy that's born, I want you to kill him. Under threat of penalty of death if he didn't. But Moses' mom, and obviously his dad, rebelled against the king's order. They made a little ark for him to float in and kept him in the reeds in the Nile River. Well, along came Pharaoh's daughter, saw the kid, really fell in love with the kid, and adopted the kid as her own son. And Moses was raised up in the house of Pharaoh, raised up as royalty. Now, there came a time when he was about 40 years old that he realized where his roots were, and that was with the children of Israel. He realized that he was not royalty, Egyptian royalty, but he was rather a child of God with the promises that had been given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. And so he refused to stay in the house of Pharaoh. In fact, do you ever follow the Lord and you know get the right idea at exactly the wrong time? Has that ever happened to you? That happens to me all the time. I get this wonderful idea. I know what God's going to do. i got it figured out. I know what He's going to do. And I set about to do it, and it doesn't work. I had the right idea, but I didn't have the right time. That was Moses. He had the right idea, and when he was walking around Egypt, he saw some of his brethren being beaten by the Egyptian slave owners, and he got mad. In fact, he was so infuriated, he killed the Egyptian. Now, at that point, he made a decision. He made a choice. I'm either going to go with God and His people and the promises God had given, or I'm going to hang out in the luxury of Israel, of Egypt. Rather. And so Pharaoh, obviously, was mad at Moses, and Moses had to flee for his life. And for the next 40 years, Moses was a shepherd in the wilderness tending flocks. But then that fateful day, four years later, when God appeared to Moses in that burning bush. You've all heard the story about Moses and the burning bush, how God spoke to him out of this bush that was burning but wasn't consumed. And said, I want you to go set my people free. And so our author records quite a bit of information here about Moses and his story as an illustration of faith that Moses... Trusting God, depending upon His Word, went and faced Pharaoh to liberate his kinspeople, his country people, his brethren, from the bondage in Egypt. 
Now, following that, the author kind of skips around a little bit. He moves to the faith of Israel. And he kind of skips over the unbelief that Israel as a nation had under Moses' leadership for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness. And he skips over to the event that took place under Joshua when Joshua led the people across the flood of Jordan into the promised land, and he came face to face with the very first fortified city of Jericho. And he gives us a little information about Jericho, how that by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. At that point, he kind of makes a statement that I can relate to uh, when I studied this chapter. Uh, it, it's a statement that hopefully will explain to you all why we're going through this fairly rapidly. And I just want to read it to you here. He makes this statement in verse after describing, by the way, the harlot, the whore, Rahab. Did you know that Rahab is listed here as a hero, a heroine, I should say, of faith? As a matter of fact, the only other reference you have to Rahab in the Bible is in Matthew in the genealogy of Christ. Anyhow, Rahab, after she talks, he talks about Rahab's faith winning her salvation, actually, and deliverance when Jericho fell. He says, And what more shall I say? For the time should fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson, and of Jephthah, David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Here he moves from the specific designation of particular individuals, heroes of faith, to a more generalized discussion. In other words, what he's doing and what this led me to do was take a step back away from our study of the individuals here because they are examples of faith. And see what the author really wants us to see in the big picture of what that faith does. And so he said, I could go on. I could go on naming the judges, Gideon and so on. I could go on talking about the kings, King David and the prophets beginning with Samuel and Elijah and all that. I could go on in the history of Israel but here he summarizes it, and I want, I want you to hear this summary because there's a real application to us. Notice what he wants us to see here, beginning in verse 33. These folks, these heroes of faith, these people that actually took God at his word, that actually believed what he said was true, through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That reminds me of Daniel and the lion's den. Quenched the violence of fire. The three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Escaped the edge of the sword. 
out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight, in fight rather, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised again to life. Now, this is some pretty miraculous things he's talking about. What's he want us to see? He wants us to see the power, the divine power in someone who actually trusts God. That's what he wants us to see. He wants us to see that there is tremendous power. But not only that, because I don't know any of us here that wouldn't like to subdue kingdoms and win victories and battles and destroy our enemies and raise the dead, that sort of thing. That dog pees on these flowers, you're in trouble. <laughs> but he didn't stop there. He went on. He went on to say, and others. Now notice these heroes of faith. These others. He doesn't list them out by name. But he gives us another group here. And others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Now what's better than being raised up from the dead? You know, I've often thought about that because... Back when I was young, and dumber than I am now, I argued with God about these spiritual gifts everybody was raving about. You know, I had people that were speaking in tongues and, and telling me, man, you know, I tried, but I couldn't. I tried to fake it. By the way, if you want to fake it, you just repeat, she rode in on a Honda rapidly several times in a row. And people think you're speaking in tongues. But anyhow. I said, okay, Lord, well, I'm not going to mess with these gifts that you're talking about and everybody's raving about speaking in tongues and all this stuff. I'm not going to mess with that. I want to raise the dead. Give me that gift. Now, he shut me down fairly quickly from that when he said, the reason you can't raise the dead is because you're not ready to die yet. And I said, oh. And I got kind of preoccupied there with resurrection, okay? What could be better than raising somebody from the dead? You know, Lazarus. Remember the story about Lazarus? He was dead four days in the tomb. And Jesus... Admiral had stone back and he raised up Lazarus from the dead. What could be more glorious than that? And then it dawned on me. Poor Lazarus. Here he was in the bosom of Abraham. Here he was in paradise. Here he was in the very presence of God. Here he was obtaining all the promises, enjoying heaven. And he hears this voice, Lazarus, come forth. Oh, man. You've got to go back into the body, wrapped up 
with burial clothes and come out and live the rest of his days under threat of death because they weren't just trying to kill Jesus who raised him from the dead. They wanted to kill Lazarus too to eliminate the loose ends, so to speak. And I thought, you know, that might not be so good. So, if any of you desire to raise the dead, should I die, I want you to leave my butt alone. You understand me? <laughs> Do not try to raise me from the dead. But Lazarus had to continue on in this life. He had to continue to live until he died. Well, what could be better than the resurrection of the dead in that sense? The resurrection he's talking about here is the resurrection in which we all will be raised to life. The glorious resurrection of the promise of the end. Now, we, we might get the idea that, you know, those Old Testament saints, man, they didn't know nothing about resurrection. Yeah, they did. Both Elijah and Elijah raised the dead. They knew about resurrection. They understood it. As far back as Abraham, when he told his men, when he went to offer Isaac, he said, listen, me and the boy are going to go worship over there. Now, what God had told him was go kill Isaac over there as a sacrifice. And we and the boy will come back to you. What was he thinking? If he had to kill Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. Amen. Because God had promised that Isaac was the one through whom his descendants would come. What could be better than the resurrection of the dead back into this life? The resurrection of the dead into an eternal existence. The resurrection of the dead unto eternal life, which we begin to enjoy now and will fully experience later at our own death and resurrection. So some of them were tortured and they didn't accept deliverance because they felt that there was a better resurrection. There was better something better than this life. And so they weren't about to give it up. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings and bonds, prison, and so on. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. That's Isaiah. He was cut in half with a wood saw. Were tempted. Were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. So I want you to see that there's two sides to this faith business. Okay, There's the side of faith which will bring you a temporary, immediate victory when you're in trouble. But there's also a side of faith which will give you the strength to endure the opposition of this world. Both are faith. Now to conclude this chapter, our author gives us a couple verses here that I want to take a little time on this morning just to wrap it up. 
He says, and these all, all the heroes he's just talking about, having obtained a good report through faith. Another way of saying this is these all, though they won divine approval by means of their faith. See, that's the thing that we studied about way back with Enoch when we first started this study. What does faith do for you? It gives you the satisfaction of knowing that you are approved of God. That's what it does. What else could matter? You're approved of God. Nothing else matters. That's what faith gives you. The satisfaction of divine approval. You see, that's what God's looking for. As I've repeated over and over again in our study. What He is looking for is people who will simply trust Him. And when they do, they have a good report. Divine approval. Not only on high, but here on earth as well. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. What? They didn't get the promise. They didn't experience the fulfillment of the promise. In order to explain that, and explain why, he gives us this last verse. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Sounds a little confusing, so let me give you the amplified translation. The reason they didn't receive the promise, and by the way, it's the, because they got other promises. Israel got into the promised land. There's other promises that were fulfilled, but not the promise. Because God had us in mind. He wasn't just looking at them. He was looking at you. At all of us. Down through the centuries of time, His eternal view looked at all the people that have lived since Jesus' day. Because God had us in mind and something greater in view for us. Something greater. Man, when you look at what those guys did through their faith, you say, well, what could be greater than that? Something greater in view for us. So that they, apart from us, should not come to perfection. Well, what do you have in mind that's greater for us? That they would receive without us. It's coming to perfection. Completion. Total perfection. What does that mean to us practically here? See, our author has already told us in our study up to this point about the new covenant. And that new covenant which began when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross 
That new covenant that he told his disciples about when he instituted that memorial meal that we celebrate every month called communion, that new covenant was a brand new age. An age of grace in which God would complete his work in humanity. So our author says, these guys, the Old Testament, they didn't get the promise because God had a better plan in mind that we, along with them, should be brought into perfection. Well, how does that apply then to us in our everyday lives? How does that work itself out? God's plan for you, initiated in the, old, in the new covenant, being radically different, far better than the old covenant. You have better promises, a better mediator, a better sacrifice. He's gone through all the betters here in our study. Having something better in mind was the absolute completion and fulfillment that Christ brought into humanity. These are the exceeding great and precious promises that Peter talked about. Where are all those promises? I'm going to kind of summarize them for you and just narrow them down here because it would take us forever to recount all of those promises in detail. So I want to just kind of summarize them for you. The promises, what Paul referred to, to the Colossians, when he called it a mystery. He said, behold, I show you a mystery. Now, a biblical mystery is not something that cannot be solved. A biblical mystery is just something that simply hadn't been revealed before. And what was that biblical mystery that hadn't been revealed to all these heroes of faith? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That was a mystery that hadn't been revealed. That's where all these heroes of faith didn't understand. But now it has been revealed in this new age of the new covenant to you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now that still might, might not ring your bell. Okay, I understand. That still might not mean much to you. So let's lay it out practically, as does Paul in Romans chapter 6. You, who were dead in sins and trespasses, he raised together with Christ. You have been joined together with Christ. That's what Jesus did on the cross. You have been made one with, with Christ. Just like he promised his disciples in the upper room, John chapter 14, verse 20. At that day you shall know that I am in the Father and that you are in me and that I am in you. You are inseparably joined to Christ, the high priest. You're one with him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
And because you're one with him, you should know that so many of us as were joined to him, were joined to him in his death. What does that mean? That means when Jesus died on the cross, you died. What you? We're talking about the person you've always thought you were. That person. That person that you tried to make look good. That person you tried to clean up. That person you tried to be better. That person was crucified with Christ. And you should know that that person was buried with Christ. Forever gone. Well, what does that mean to you now? It means you are not the person you've always thought you were. No. That's not who you are. By the way, you have a new name. Did you know it? Yeah. It's written down in heaven. I don't know what it is. But you have a new name. Which stands for a brand new identity. Because the old identity was insufficient. Israel had 2,000 years in which they tried incessantly to keep the law to make themselves approved of God. They couldn't do it. Neither can you. So you should know that God did something for you in that new covenant that you couldn't do for yourself, and that is He killed that old, self-centered, selfish, sinful person you were born into this world as. That sucker's dead. It's gone. Buried with Christ. And when Jesus rose up from the dead, He raised you up. A brand new person created in righteousness and true holiness. That's the person you are right now. You say, that doesn't look like it. <laughs> Go look in the mirror and you say, oh, that's the same old person I've always been, right? Wrong. Well, how can you see that person? Through the eyes of faith. The same faith that the heroes of faith exercised. Here's the question. Are you or are you not going to believe what God says is true about you? God said He made you a brand new person according to the promise. You see, Jesus didn't come to improve sinners. He came to change humanity. He came to make a brand new human race. A brethren just like Him. And that's who he made you to be. A brand new person. Raised up together with him. And as far above all principality and power. And seated in the heavenlies. That's who you are. That's where you are. Now I know there's a lot of opposition against that. There's a lot of obstacles to believing that. Not the least of which is the fact that you still live in this same old sin-cursed body you were born with. It still has all that conditioning of the flesh. 
that still thinks of herself as you've always thought of herself, that still reacts with the same habits you've always had. But that's where your faith comes in. Are you going to believe what your flesh tells you about you? Or are you going to believe what God says about you is true? There's a choice. Well, I know there's all kinds of people around you that said, oh, you ain't changed, man. You're the same old funky person you've always been, right? You'll probably never change. Are you going to believe that? Or are you going to believe the mystery Paul was talking about when he said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The same mystery he describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we will all be changed. Are you going to believe that God has changed you? Or are you going to believe you're the same old person you always were? See, that's the promise, folks. The promise that was pictured throughout the whole Old Testament era. The promise that now is in full operation. The promise of grace by which God does for you what you cannot do for yourself. He makes you a brand new person, holy and without blame before Him in love. Now what good is that new identity? When I realize who God says He's made me to be, when I realize I'm a brand new person created in Christ Jesus, and I realize I have no reason to fear anything. I've been raised far above all principality and power. I am seated already in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. I shall never lose, ever, no matter what happens. That's why in that great chapter, passage on suffering in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Famine or sword, distress? No. You'll never lose because of who God has made you to be. And when I can believe that, I begin to experience that hope, that joyful expectation about my future. I know I'm going to be okay. And that hope miraculously sets me free from my own selfish desires to actually care about you and other people, to actually love you like Christ. You see, this is the promise that they look forward to. It was described elsewhere, and we'll do more study on it later, is what Abraham looked forward to. A city whose builder and maker was God. A city designed by God for you to live in. We're going to study that a little later. It's called the New Jerusalem. As where you're going to hang out for eternity. You see, we have these exceeding great and precious promises that are given to us. Just like these heroes of faith had their promises. The question is, will we believe it or not? I urge you, 
to accept the truth of the promise concerning who God made you to be. And to fulfill that truth by a second great promise we don't have time to talk about. And that is Jesus promised, I'm not going to leave you like orphans here. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to put my spirit into you. What's he going to do? He's going to teach you. He's going to guide you. He's going to direct you. He's going to empower you. He's going to comfort you. Just like Jesus did. Exceeding great and precious promises we have to live as sojourners in this present world. Let's pray to God. Father God, as we come in your presence, we thank you for these promises, Lord. I thank you for the way you've revealed it to us in your scripture. I ask you, Father, to continue to teach us by your spirit as only you can do. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the blessings that you've given us in Christ Jesus. And I ask you to make us aware of it now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Appreciate y'all being here. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.